Well, good morning again, and like Don said earlier, Merry Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. I think that's right, a couple days away. And I think for most of you, you love this time of year, this season, Christmas itself. For for most people, many people at least, Christmas is their favorite day of the year, but for some different reasons. It's no surprise to us that as the world and our country becomes more and more secular, that more people are trying to take Christ out of Christmas each year. Each year now, the group American Atheists sets up these billboards across the U.S. to advertise atheism and to oppose Christianity. Of course, they always target Christianity, but that's to be expected. This year, they've erected a 40-foot by 40-foot billboard in Times Square, which reads, Who needs Christ during Christmas? And the answer given is, Nobody. And the next graphic then tells people to celebrate the true meaning of Xmas, which is charity, family, friends, and food. And then gives the generic reading of happy holidays. At the same time, though, what's interesting is that even people like this, they don't want to abandon Christmas. They want to retain it. They want to keep the holiday, which it might strike you as odd. Why would they want to keep something so religious? I mean, for years, for centuries, Christmas has been associated with remembering the birth of Jesus. I mean, everyone knows that by now. So why would they want to hold on to this religious holiday? Well, the answer is that for them and for most people now, Christmas, it's not about remembering and celebrating the birth of Christ. And it's been that way for centuries, but in the past century, Christmas itself has really morphed into something else entirely. Nowadays, to the world, what is Christmas about? And if I can give a one-word answer, I would say stuff. And I'm using that as a very technical term. Stuff. I mean, you, can, you may call them gifts or presents. But what really drives people this time of year is all the stuff that they're going to get. Christmas now is all about the stuff, whether it's stuff you need or stuff you want, stuff you buy for yourself, stuff other people give to you. What really excites most people this time of year is this, the stuff. And stuff is not necessarily bad. We all have stuff. Some of it we really need. There's nothing wrong with having possessions in and of themselves. We know that. However, this one day of the year now has become all about acquiring more possessions. So how much more stuff can I get? When kids return to school after Christmas break, what's the first thing they ask one another? Hey, what stuff did you get for Christmas? And that, that's what it's about. And this is so much the case that our entire winter calendar has been rearranged to feed this consumer machine. Christmas Day now is, of course, for one thing, opening presents, and then the rest of the day is for playing with all your stuff. Christmas Eve is like preview day, where you get to play with a little bit of stuff, not all of it. The day after Christmas is return day, where you take back all the stuff you don't really want, and you get the stuff you really wanted. And even Thanksgiving now has been seized by Christmas. We all know that the day after Thanksgiving is called Black Friday. It's a day where millions of people do crazy things to get stuff, to get good deals on stuff. Most of it's for Christmas. And this day is starting to live up to its name, Black Friday. There's a website, no joke, there's a website called blackfridaydeathcount.com. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a website that tracks since 2006 there have been seven deaths and 90 injuries associated with people trying to get stuff on Black Friday which is pretty remarkable. 
Even Thanksgiving Day has bowed the knee to Christmas, Christmas shopping. We saw more stores than ever open up this year on Thanksgiving Day. Again, it's just driven by Christmas, driven by stuff. This entire day, Thanksgiving, this entire day set aside for giving thanks for all the stuff we already have is now a day for getting more, getting more stuff, discontentment. So is this what Christmas is about? That's the question. This is what it's become, but is this what it was supposed to be about? And we Christians, we know the right answer to the question. No, of course not. Christmas is supposed to be about remembering the birth of Christ. You know, you know the right answer. You can pat yourself on the back. But does that really change anything? Now stop and think about that question for a second. You, you know the answer, but does that really change anything? Okay, sure, you claim that Christmas is really about the birth of Jesus. But now think about everything you do to celebrate Christmas in your home. Is there really anything distinctive from the world? Do you do anything different, really, to celebrate than the atheist? Or have you been carried away by all the secular traditions? Is Christmas in your home just another day for gifts and gift giving and presents and and stuff? You may, you may have a nativity scene, but for all practical purposes, there's really no Christ in your Christmas. For a lot of Christians even, Christmas is just another day like President's Day or Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's just the birthday of a historical figure. Yeah, it's supposed to be about Christ's birthday, but like Washington or Luther, Jesus is just a historical figure who has no real bearing in your life today. That's what it's become for a lot of Christians even. It's a day off work. Your celebration of Christmas should be different. The atheist, the unbeliever, they should feel really uncomfortable at your Christmas party because it's so overtly spiritual and God-centered. And sure, some aspects of secular tradition aren't wrong. Giving gifts is not wrong in of itself if you put it in its proper place and perspective. But that's not what Christmas is about. And you need to get that squared away. That's not what it's about. And then once you have that squared away, you need to rightly understand what it is about and then rightly respond to Christmas. You need to celebrate Christmas in the right way. Do you know what that looks like? Do you know what it means to celebrate Christmas in the right way? If you really believe that Christmas is supposed to be about the birth of Jesus, then how do you observe that? What should you do to make Christmas in your house different than just President's Day with more stuff? And today, from Scripture, we're going to answer that question. We're going to find out. Hopefully, you all know the Christmas story from Scripture. I'm sure you do. You have Jesus, his birth, and surrounding Jesus. You have this cast of characters. We all know it from a children's play or your nativity scene. Mary and Joseph are there, of course. You have the angels and the shepherds and the magi. If you really want, you can throw in a few animals, but the Bible doesn't mention any animals with the birth of Jesus, so sorry. But we know these characters. What you might not know is that each of them models for us the right response to Christmas. These these characters, these people, as we see in Scripture, they all got it right. They all rightly understood what Christmas was really about. And therefore, we find them celebrating Christmas in the right way. 
And that's our aim. We want to observe this day in a God-glorifying way. And so this morning, we're going to watch this cast of characters to see what Christmas looks like. I want to know. I want to know the answer to that question. What does a biblical Christmas look like? And from several scriptures this morning, we're going to, we're going to find out. And so in particular, I want to share with you this morning three right responses to the birth of Jesus, to Christmas. Three right responses to the birth of Jesus. So that you might share in that response. Three right responses to the birth of Jesus. Now, I want you to witness, just to witness what Christmas is truly about. And to begin, the first response is this, the response of the angels. Starting off with the angels, the response of the angels. And open your Bibles now to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 to begin with. Now, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that's the passage that actually records the birth of Jesus, like Don read first this morning. Joseph and Mary, they arrive in Bethlehem, and at some point after that, Jesus is born. Like verse 6 says, while you're turning, I'll read for you Luke chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there's a lot to say about the actual birth of Christ. There's a lot of truth to be learned, many myths to dispel. But our concern this year, at least, is is more on what happens next. Because after after Jesus is born, we get introduced to all these other characters around this nativity scene. And we want to see how they respond to this. And first, we encounter the angels. And we see the response of the angels. But angels are never mentioned in connection with Jesus in the manger. As far as we know, Mary and Joseph didn't see any angels that night. There were no angels hovering around the manger. So if that's in your nativity scene, again, you've got to take the angels and move them somewhere else. (laughs) Instead, the angels did not appear to Mary that night. They appeared to a group of shepherds. If you're in Luke chapter 2, look now at verse 8. He continues, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. Sheep were a very common sight in the hills surrounding Jerusalem. There was still a huge demand. The temple sacrifices were still going on. These were some good shepherds. They were keeping watch of their sheep 24-7, even at nighttime. In verse 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terribly frightened. You better believe they were terribly frightened. Angels are beings of this perfect holiness and righteousness and magnificence. And every time they appear to someone, they strike fear into that person. It's like Isaiah seeing the seraphim or or earlier Zechariah seeing the angel Gabriel. People always, when they encounter an angel, are struck with this terrifying holiness. They're afraid. And here all the more so because these shepherds saw not only the angel, but they also saw the glory of the Lord shining around them. Now it doesn't mention the glory cloud, but surely that that this pitch black night sky just lit up around them and shone. And and all this happened in an instant, mind you. I mean, just picture yourself. You're out there just minding your business, tending your sheep. And just all of a sudden you see this angel and the glory of the Lord 
you'd be pretty caught off guard and frightened as well. And continues in verse 10, the angel speaks. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now these two verses, 10 and 11, they're just loaded with this theological significance. We have here an announcement of the gospel, of of good news. It's a message of of great joy. It's not a doom and gloom message of judgment that the angel brings, but there's something to rejoice over. It's, It's a message of salvation, or better yet, a message of a Savior who has been born. This very night, a Savior is being born, and who is he? The angel says he is Christ the Lord. Christ, Christos, the equivalent of the Hebrew word for the Messiah. The Messiah is being born this very night, the long-awaited one who will save his people from their sins. He's finally come. And what do you know? The Messiah, who is the son of David, just so happens to be born in Bethlehem, the place where David was born, just like Scripture predicted. David himself, by the way, was a shepherd. The Messiah would come to be the great shepherd. And so do you think it's a coincidence that the very first people who received the announcement of the Messiah's birth and the first ones to witness him just so happens to be a group of lowly shepherds? This Christ is also the Lord. The word Lord is used to refer to a master, and indeed Jesus is the master of the entire universe. The word Lord is also used to translate the Old Testament covenant name of God. And this also is true of Jesus, for he comes as very God. And clearly what's going on here with the birth of Jesus, this is no mere angel being born. Someone is being born that is greater, even than this this magnificent angel standing before the shepherds. Verse 12, the angel continues. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. As if the appearance of the angel wasn't a sign enough, he gives another sign. The Savior, this Christ, this Lord of all creation, will be found as an infant, lying in a manger, wrapped in some cloth. You might think to yourself, hey, some entrance into the world for this supposed king of kings. But that's, that's part of the point. This is the ultimate picture and proof of his humility. He comes the first time in great humility to serve. If only these shepherds knew at this point, which, which they didn't, that this child, this king, was destined to grow up only to suffer and die on a cross. But this they did not know at this point. For now, verse 13, look at this. This angel is not alone. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. These, these shepherds, minding their own business, tending to their sheep in the dark night sky. And in a flash, in an instant, this lone angel appears before them and the glory of the Lord shines around them, 
And they're, they're caught so off guard, they're frightened. The angel speaks to them. And just about the time when their heartbeat starts to return to normal, in another flash, the night sky lights up even more. And now the sky is filled with a multitude of angels. Again, just in an instant, the sky lights up. And don't just imagine five or six angels floating around or something. You, really, you have to understand the magnitude of this. How many angels do you think even exist? In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, John says that in his vision, he saw around the throne of God myriads of myriads of angels. And if you don't know, the word myriad back then, that was the biggest practical number they had. And it stood for 10,000 or larger. 10,000 or, or more. And so if you're looking at myriads of myriads of angels, that at the least... You're talking 100 million, at the least. So I want you to instead picture in this night sky millions of angels showing up, proclaiming glory to God in the highest. They're, de- they're described as a heavenly host, which is actually a military term, like an army. In fact, almost every time we see this group of angels show up, they're described like an army. And they're frequently seen waging spiritual warfare. Only on this instance, this army shows up not to wage war, but to announce peace. And here we see our first right response. It's the response of the angels to the birth of Christ. Here they are witnessing, declaring the Savior being born. And how do they respond? What is their response to Christmas? The answer is, Worship. It's just worship. The angels gather and they they worship. They say glory to God in the highest. This is one occasion where the Christmas carol gets it right. Gloria in Excelsis Deo. It's Latin for glory to God in the highest. It's what it means. It's right. This rightly expresses the response of the angels, which you should share. It's a response of worship and praise and adoration. Because of what God has done in sending Christ into the world, the Savior, he is worthy of praise and reverence and adoration and worship. You should be saying on on Christmas morning, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Here the angels also announce a message of peace. This peace, however, it's not for everyone. If you notice, it's only for those with whom he is pleased. And who is that? Who are those with whom he is pleased? It is only those who come to God by faith. Of course, God's sovereignty stands behind it all. But this peace is received, is accessed by faith. You don't have peace without faith. It's a peace that Jesus would later grow and die to purchase And it's announced later in a verse like Romans 5.1, which says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace which the angels were announcing. It is peace. It is reconciliation with God. Man, God, divided by sin. Christ comes to bridge that gap and bring us to peace. With God. 
But what we find here first is that the angels got it right. The angels got Christmas right. They understood what it was all about. They weren't worried about tinsel or trees. And they weren't stressing out about stockings and stocking stuffers and stuff. <laughs> but they knew this occasion was all about giving glory and praise to the Lord. It was about worship. Christmas is an occasion for greater worship. And I trust you can already tell where we're going with this. That we too, likewise, should be responding to the birth of the Savior ultimately by by worship. That, that's what Christmas is about. And first, the angels, they got it right. You can probably guess what's going to happen next, but let's look at this second response. The second response now, the response of the shepherds. Can't leave the shepherds out. They hear from the angels, and, and how do they respond? Secondly, the response of the shepherds, and let's look at verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, hey, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. That's a good idea. And you would hope that after seeing and hearing all this, they didn't just go back to their sheep. Like, well, we'll check it out later. No, they were ready to go. They made a beeline for Bethlehem. They left the sheep and they went. They, they hurried to Bethlehem to find this child. And notice their faith in their statement. They're not going to just to check it out. They're not going to see, you know, is this really true? Is this just a hoax? Let's go find out. No, they already believed and they were going to find. In faith, they hadn't seen the child, but they were acting upon what the angel announced to them. And they ran. Look at verse 16. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. These shepherds did not casually stroll back to Bethlehem. They, they were in a hurry and when they got there, the text doesn't say, but somehow they found Mary and Joseph. And when they saw that this baby in a manger, that was the sign. They knew they were in the right place. Now, Mary and Joseph had both already, before, months before, been visited by an angel separately who announced to them the truly divine and miraculous circumstances of this birth. So they knew this was, this was something special. This was not normal. They knew... But this visit by the shepherds, it was like icing on the cake for Mary and Joseph. you got to picture this. Mary, she's surely laying down, resting after giving birth to Jesus, recuperating her strength. Maybe Joseph is pacing around. Jesus is asleep in this makeshift crib. In barges this group of shepherds. And they're all excited. They're out of breath. It's like they've been running around. One starts to explain that they were visited by an angel. And Mary and Joseph immediately perk up. They know a thing or two about being visited by an angel. And so they're listening. The shepherd tells them that this angel said that tonight in Bethlehem was being born not just a child, but a Savior, even Christ the Lord. So imagine hearing that after you give birth. Everyone was wondering about this statement in amazement. 
What what does this really mean? What, What is God doing here? They did not have the benefit of knowing everything we know. To them, this was in a large part still a mystery. They did not understand. They could not conceive at this point Jesus growing up, dying on a cross as a criminal. It wasn't in their mind yet. Nonetheless, Mary kept each piece of revelation concerning her son tucked away in her heart like little pieces of a puzzle one by one. The shepherds announced this. I wonder after this point how long did this conversation last? Did they stick around? Did they chat for a little bit? Was this the first Christmas party? We don't know. At some point after, though, the shepherds left. And as they leave, we see their response. So look now at verse 20. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. They leave after encountering this Savior, Christ the Lord, doing what only comes naturally to those who encounter the Lord. And that is glorifying and praising God. Their response is just like that of the angels. It's worship. And we find that, once again, the shepherds like the angels. They, they too, they got it right. The shepherds also got Christmas right. They understood what it's about. It's about worshiping the king. Jesus is born. Yeah, that's true. Thousands of people are born every day. But Jesus is someone special. His coming is something special. And so Christmas is an occasion really for for worship, for glorifying God. This is what Christmas is all about. And for us today, we weren't there. But through scripture, we can look back, we can remember, we can reflect, and we can see the same thing. And our response likewise should be the same. That we too behold and worship and glorify and praise God for what he has done in sending us the Son, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. The second response, that of the shepherds, is the same. Worship. So you can probably guess what the third response is going to be. But let's cover it anyway. Number three now. The response of the Magi. The wise men. Number three, the response of the Magi. We're going to leave Luke 2 now and go over to Matthew chapter 2. So turn back with me to Matthew chapter 2. We'll be brief here because if you remember... The entire sermon last year, the entire Christmas sermon, was all about these magi. But just to refresh your memory, look at Matthew 2 and start at verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. There are many myths about these magi, and last year we spent a lot of time setting them all straight. If you want to learn more about that, just get last year's Christmas sermon. But now we're more interested in their response. And what is their response? End of verse 2, what do you know? They came to, to worship him. They show up in Jerusalem because that's where they expect to find this newborn king. They were sure that of all people, the Jews would already be worshiping this king. So they're in Jerusalem, but the Jews didn't even know about it. 
We'll come back to the Jews in a little bit, but eventually the Magi leave Jerusalem. They go to Bethlehem themselves. Jump down to verse 9 for now. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This actually doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. It's really plain to see their response. They bowed down and worshipped this baby. Remember, Jesus wasn't their king by nationality. These were Gentiles. Jesus was king of the Jews. But they still came from afar to worship him because they understood he was king of kings. They worship. They express their worship by giving gifts. They don't give to one another. They give to Jesus. Today we have this Christmas tradition of giving gifts to one another. And the only biblical tie-in, if you're, if you're going to stretch, is these gifts of the Magi. But, but you can tell it really doesn't fit because they weren't given to one another. Even Mary, they were giving to Jesus. So look, if you want to give gifts to relatives, knock yourself out. You're not sinning by giving gifts. But if, you, if that's what you make Christmas about, then you have it all wrong. You won't get that meaning of Christmas from the angels or the shepherds or the magi. If you really want to be accurate, then you give a gift to God. Christmas morning, wake up, give God something. Now, what do you think God wants from you this time of year, Christmas Day, every day? He wants your worship. And this worship must not be simply lip service. But it's a life lived in holiness behind the words of praise. Kind of like Romans 12.1, which says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We find from the Magi, though, this third right response to the birth of Jesus. And they're all the same. They're all the same. We asked the question earlier, what is Christmas about? And if you answer by saying it's about the birth of Jesus, you have elevated Christmas to the level of President's Day. It's just the birthday of a historical figure. That's not enough. It's not enough to say it's just about the birth of Jesus. Because Jesus is not like anyone else who has been born. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord And so the day is about the birth of Christ, but more so because of who he is and what he did. It's about responding to the birth of Christ. And what is that response? It must be true worship. That is what Christmas is about. We've seen this from many scriptures, Matthew 2, Luke 2, from the angels, from the shepherds, from the magi. We've seen this right response to the birth of Christ. It's worship, true worship. But tucked away here in Matthew 2, we actually also find a couple of wrong responses to the birth of Jesus, to Christmas. With a little bit of time we have left, I want to actually turn your attention to these now. Because just like today, even back then, not everyone got Christmas right. 
And not everyone responded to the birth of Jesus in the right way. So let's finish off with a couple of wrong responses to the birth of Jesus, to Christmas. Two wrong responses to the birth of Christ. The first is the response of Herod. The response of King Herod. We skipped over this part when reading about the Magi, but back in Matthew 2, King Herod has his own input concerning the birth of this Jesus. Remember this large group of Magi, they show up in Jerusalem, and they say this, verse 2, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod heard, or rather when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod thought to himself, well, wait a second. I'm king of the Jews. You should be seeking and worshiping me. Now, who is this other king of the Jews? It's, this was not, he was not happy about this. He was supposed to be the king of the Jews. And this attacked his own pride. Make no mistake, Herod understood the significance of this child being born. You have to get this. He did not just think this was some potential usurper to his throne. This was some rival family that was going to overthrow the Herod dynasty. No, he perfectly understood that the Magi were looking for the Jewish Messiah. He knew. Because in verse 4, in response to this, Herod assembles all the religious leaders. And what does he ask them? Hey, where is the Messiah to be born? He knew exactly whom they were looking for. The Jewish Messiah. And they gave him the right answer, Bethlehem. So he has his own plan. Look at verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. And what do you know? It seems like Herod understood the true meaning of Christmas as well. He's got the right response. He just wants to worship Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that nice? But I think we know this, this is not the case. Herod has no intentions of actually worshiping this newborn king. His response is not like that of the angels or the shepherds or the magi. He's not concerned with rejoicing over the birth of God's righteous Messiah who would save his people from their sins. Rather, he only wants to keep his throne and his power. And even the Messiah, if he's going to threaten that, must be done away with. In reality, Herod wants these magi to be like unwitting spies to find them, report back where the Messiah is found. At which point, Herod would launch a swift and deadly raid to execute him. And that's not just conjecture. I'm not just making that up. Because when, when God warned the magi not to return to Herod, and Herod realized he had been tricked, how did he respond? How was his response? Jump down to verse 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and, and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Side note, this verse leads us to believe that the Magi actually showed up about Two years, even, after the birth of Jesus. Or, potentially, Herod wanted to make sure the Messiah was killed, so to cover his bases, he killed all the infant boys, even close in age. But, but just can you imagine this? Your child being taken by the government, 
and killed, and you have absolutely no recourse. But that's what happened. But what we find here, though, it's a response of hatred to the birth of Christ. Herod hated this newborn Messiah because he did not want his life and his power imposed upon. He did not want to live by the Messiah's rules. He was king of his life. And this child would certainly never be king over him. So we find here actually the first response that is typical of the world today. How many unbelievers today equally hate Christ and Christmas time for the very same reason? I mean, all those atheists who pay money to put up billboards, they hate Christ so much and they refuse to submit to him as Lord. He will never be king over their lives. They're king over their lives. And they will not submit. And trust me, if they had power, I'm sure they would be just as ruthless in making people conform to their way. So beware this response of pride and hatred. In a sense, we understand this response because the perfect righteousness of Christ confronts and condemns the unrighteousness of us all, of the world. But the solution to this is not to hate and oppose God, but but rather to humble yourself over your unrighteousness, to confess your sins, and to turn to this king to save you. Because remember, he came the first time not as judge, but as savior to save us from this. All those who line up with him will be blessed with eternal life, but those who line up against him will be condemned forever. It's no surprise to us that the response of Herod continues today. The darkness will always hate and oppose the light. It's no surprise today. But in this account, there's also the response of another group of people, which might come to you as more of a surprise, how they respond to the birth of Jesus. Let's finish with this now, the second wrong response, fifth overall, but the second wrong response it's the response of the religious. The response of the religious. Think about this. When the Magi came into town, they strolled into Jerusalem, everybody knew about it. Verse 3 says, the whole city was troubled. They all knew what was going on here. Then when Herod wanted to know where the supposed Messiah was to be born, to whom did he turn? Verse 4. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Herod turned to the religious leaders of Israel. He gathered all the, the priests and the scribe, and he asked them. The priests, they were the religious authorities over all temple worship, and the scribes, they were the religious authorities over all synagogue worship. Together, they were like the Senate and the House of Representatives for Israel's worship. Now consider this. These religious leaders, they knew what was going on here. They had heard about the Magi, and they too, like Herod, they knew just whom the Magi were seeking. They were seeking the Messiah. And furthermore, these religious leaders, they knew exactly where to look in Scripture to find out where the Messiah was to be born. And they had it right. They had the right answer, Bethlehem. We skip these verses, but look back now at verse 5. They said to him, to Herod, 
in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Okay, so they got it right. What's the problem here? The problem is their lack of response. It's true. These religious leaders, they didn't hunt down and try and kill the Messiah like Herod tried to do. They wouldn't do that for another 33 years. However, they also did not go with the Magi to worship him. You realize that? You see the problem with that. Think about this. These religious leaders, these are the ones in Israel that they're the privileged ones. They know God. They know the scriptures. They keep the law. They're they're righteous. They're devout. Of all people, they seek the Messiah the most. At least that's how they appear on the outside. Inside, they're spiritually dead. And they don't know God. But just think, if you were there, and you were one of those who just, you you were so desiring for the Messiah to come. And then into town this day comes this group of mysterious magi. And they're announcing this supernatural star they saw that has led them to the birth of the Messiah. And it's nearby. Don't you think you would at least go and check it out? It's like, well, is this true? Could this be? You'd go and find out. And look, they came to Jerusalem, right? Bethlehem, it's only five miles away. It's it's like a two-hour walk. And back then, that's nothing. You think one of them would have said, well, let's just go check it out in Bethlehem. None of them went. Why didn't they go? The Magi went. Because they didn't care. This was the response of indifference. It's the response of faithlessness. It's the response of false worship. And that's the thing. It's the response of false worship. And this response came from the supposedly most religious people. And guess what? This is the response to Christmas, which many Christians can fall into today. Response of false worship. As a good Christian, of course, you love Christ, you love Christmas, you know what it's about. You're not like Herod, you don't spitefully hate and oppose Christmas. But has your response to Christmas been that, like those of the religious leaders? Devoid of true worship. You see, these people had for a long time, they had lost sight of true worship. Their hearts were far from God. Instead, they became obsessed with empty rituals and traditions and practices that meant nothing to God. Yet today, likewise, Christmas has evolved to include tons of empty rituals and traditions and practices which mean nothing to God. But how much do they mean to you? Have you made Christmas all about the stuff? Even if you call yourself religious, have you lost sight of what really matters on this day? For some of you here, it might be time to deprogram yourself and reprogram yourself as to what Christmas is really about. That's what I had to do myself. I grew up in a non-Christian home, and Christmas was all about presents and trees and Santa and Rudolph and stockings and food and family and all this stuff. That's what it was about. Then I came to Christ, but all those traditions, they were still ingrained in me. 
And don't get me wrong here, the message is not to abandon all tradition. That's not the message. Many are perfectly fine, but I had to deprogram myself and reprogram myself as to what Christmas is really about. What, it, what it's really about. If you want to decorate a tree and put up lights, that's fine. But you cannot make that what Christmas is about. If you want to give gifts, receive gifts, it's okay. But you can't make that what Christmas is about. If you want to gather with family, eat a lot of food, that's fine. But you can't even make that what Christmas is about. Because Christmas is about none of those things. Do you get that? Do you have that straight? Christmas is about none of those things. You can do it, but that's not what it's about. It's about the birth of Jesus, but more so because of who he is and what he has done, responding to the birth of Jesus. And therefore, it's about what? Worship. It is about worship. He wants and is worthy of your worship. This day, every day, and that's the only right response to Christmas. And so now you just have to ask yourself, is that how you respond to Christmas? How, do you worship? Will you worship? How can you worship on Christmas different from the world? Well, for one, attending a Christmas Eve or a Christmas Day service somewhere, it's a great way to devote the day to him, gathering with the saints. It's a worship that God wants. Or you can do this with your family on Christmas Day. Read the real Christmas story from Scripture together and express your thankfulness to God for sending his son into the world together as a family. Spend time praying, giving God praise for this momentous day, the dawn of your salvation. Yeah, reflect even on the ways you can grow and change in your own walk. That's worship. God is not interested in mere lip service. He wants a walk that backs up the talk. You could even use Christmas as a special day of the year for, for reflection, for introspection, for personal recommitment to the Lord. The sky's the limit. Just do what you need to do to make sure it's a day set aside for worship. You're, you're spending part of this day for worship. And although, if you really want to get it right, it's just, it just has to come from your heart. No one can make you worship God. It cannot be forced upon you. You must truly desire, value the Lord, and want to worship for it, for God to even care about it, and for it to be meaningful worship. For some of you, the stuff of Christmas might be a little roadblock in your heart, keeping you from real worship. You're so distracted by the stuff. And if that's you, maybe it's time to get rid of it. I don't know. You know. You decide. Decide for yourself. But you just need to do whatever you need to to ensure that you are worshiping truly on Christmas. Now, just a final note here. There's one question we haven't really answered, though. And that is why? Why should you worship Jesus? Okay, Christmas is about worship. It's about responding to the birth by worshiping. But what's, what's the big deal? Why are we worshiping this baby, this, this person, Jesus? And the answer, which we've alluded to, is because of who he is and what he has done. That's why. And you need to remember that. Who is he? Like the angels announced, he is the Savior, Christ, 
the Lord. Jesus is very God, born as very man into the world for a purpose. He came with a mission, a work to do, and that work is to die. He was born not deserving death, but he was born to die. That was his purpose. We are not saved by his birth, but rather by his his death. Because many years later, he would die on the cross. You may wonder, what's a big deal about dying on a cross? Thousands have done it. But this is no mere death on a cross. It's what happened during that time that is so meaningful for us. Because on that cross, he was our substitute. Our substitute sacrifice. On the cross, he was taking our place. That, that's where we should have been. He was dying the death we should have died. Paying the penalty we should have paid. Penalty for what? For our, our sins. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have this debt that we can't repay. Nothing you can do about it because of our sins against an infinitely holy and perfect and righteous God. And so we're condemned. We all stand condemned. But Jesus came to rescue us from condemnation, to reconcile, and to bring us to peace with God. How? By justifying us on the cross. By taking our place and paying the penalty that we deserve. And he died that death, and he rose to new life, and in doing so, now he offers, he stands and offers to you life, forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, peace with God if you come to him. If you come to him. Jesus being the Savior, the Christ, he's the only one who can bring you this this forgiveness, this salvation, this peace. And so you must go to him. Do that if you haven't already. Turn from your sins in repentance. Turn toward Christ in faith. Come to worship him. Because then and only then, only then, can you get Christmas right and respond to him with a real meaningful worship as the one who has saved you. He becomes not just the Savior, he becomes your Savior. And that's the worship he wants. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we do bow and worship you this morning, remembering what has happened for us so many years ago. We weren't there, but through Scripture, we we can be there. We can remember and reflect the perfect word you have given to us of what you sent your Son to do, to be born in humility, to live, but then to die on the cross, separated from you for us, for our sins. We thank you for this life, well, this birth, this life, and this death, and this resurrection. It is through this we have life, and, and we worship you. You are worthy of our praise because of what you, who you are and what you have done, and we will give it to you. I pray we do that, not just with our lips, but with our lives, living holy before you, and not just one day a year, but each and every day, giving the praise you deserve. To bless us this Christmas season, may our Christmas celebration uh, be full of true worship and honoring to you. In your name we pray. Amen.